innovation does not happen when five homogenous people sit in a room together. Innovation happens when a lot of people from super different walks of life with very different experiences and skill sets and characters come together and obviously create a lot of friction. That's why innovation can be really, really uncomfortable. But that's where true innovation happens. If we're just surrounding ourselves with the people we're comfortable with and who look like us and talk like us and have a background like us, very few new ideas will come about. This is the As It Should Be podcast, and I'm your host, Tamara Jones. Join me as I speak to the people remaking the world as it should be. We discuss the role of inclusion, equity, and belonging in facing the challenges shaping our society today. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of As It Should Be. So creating an equitable society requires that people are being more imaginative than standards we've held each other to historically, right? I mean, that's how movements are made. People are imagining possibilities for our communities that we've never seen before. When it comes to social impact, we've historically held nonprofits to the expectations of creating social change. In this last decade, though, the attention has rightly expanded to include the for-profit space and their responsibilities to the communities in which they operate. With this wave has come a slew of a new class of founders and business leaders that our guest today calls social innovators. These are the socially conscious people who are going out and setting a new standard for both what and who business is built for. If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, then you know that if there's anything I believe, it's that when it comes to shifting our culture, we can't do it alone. Our guest today, Annika Horn, has built a career at the heart of that notion. Annika is an ecosystem builder. What is that, you ask? And what does it have to do with recreating the world as it should be? Well, let's get into it. Without further ado, join me in welcoming Annika to the show. Welcome to As It Should Be, Annika. Thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. I'm so excited to have you because I've never had, um, I've, I've never heard of uh, um, ecosystems and um, the work that you do is just so very interesting. So could you explain a little bit about what Social Venturers is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started Social Venturers about a year and a half ago in this current form. And it has sort of three parts to it. Number one, it's all around, first and foremost, community. So building a community of like-minded peers who are really passionate about creating social impact through entrepreneurship. The second part is really more of a think tank where I share a lot of the insights that I get from interviewing social venturers, hosting roundtables, and really finding out what's happening at the forefront of our field. And the third part is a consultancy arm where I make my services available for hire so that I can bring this ecosystem building approach 
to other organizations who want to work with this. So can you explain a bit about the whole ecosystem building approach? Exactly what does ecosystem building entail? Um, it's definitely something I had never heard of before meeting you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I apologize. This field is so full of impossible lingo that I'm not surprised that most people are not familiar with ecosystem building. The good news is it's actually quite simple. We know that no entrepreneur succeeds in a vacuum, right? Whether you are just having an idea or you just started your company or you're in the growth stage, you can't do it all by yourself. At, depending on what stage you're at, you might need um, a workspace. You will always need mentors. You might need investors. You need people who are in your corner supporting you along the way. And that's simply what we talk about in ecosystems. So we're able to look at certain cities, towns, or even rural regions and assess who is in the ecosystem. So who are the players that are already there and how are they working together to make sure that entrepreneurs get what they need when they need it. And that's what a lot of social ventures is invested in. So for the most part, I focus on these ecosystem builders. So again, like I said, it could be mentors, advisors, investors, people who run support programs for social entrepreneurs and figure out how to support them in living their best lives in a way. So really creating maximum impact in their careers, in their organizations, and in their ecosystems without burning out in the process. Because having worked in the space of social impact, I've experienced firsthand that we tend to throw ourselves behind a cause and work, 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 and sometimes lose sight of ourselves. So it's a really important element for me to know that in order to create long-term change, we just got to make sure we look after ourselves. I'm definitely going to get into access um, because that what you're doing is very much creating access to a network that otherwise a lot of people would never have and that you really do need to be successful. So I do want to get into that um, a little bit. I'm, I don't know. Let's just start there. So for me, the reason why that really resonated is or really resonates is because uh, growing up and looking at the communities that I've that I have been in throughout my work and throughout my life, um, you very much see entrepreneurs fall flat in achieving their goals when they aren't able to have the network that um, that you explained, like a network of mentors, investors, um, and finding access to things like investors is, it feels virtually impossible for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, so how have you seen um, different communities, different marginalized communities be impacted by the access and support that you serve or that your company provides. And and I guess you could talk a little bit about just like how how you've seen race impact that access um, and and maybe gender and and just all of the the marginalized communities that that are really being impacted by that access. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. You jumped right into the heart of my work and what drives me in doing this. So um, let me think about where to start. The status quo right now is when it comes to entrepreneurship in general, um, if we think about startups, most of the images of a startup founder or an entrepreneur are a middle-aged white guy in a suit, right? But I think, I mean, obviously, that's a very, very small tranche of people who are out there trying to start a business because they're passionate about it or because it's just a necessity for them. So I think our startup world has been really ruled by that image of really just one demographic. With that being said, 
number one, I think everybody should have access just out of principle. I think this is just ethical common sense that everybody deserves to have the right opportunity or the same opportunity to start a business, to pursue their dreams, whatever that is. But there's also a business case behind it where if we are systemically excluding people who don't look like that one particular entrepreneur, we're leaving so much potential on the table. Um, For example, by 2055, there will be no one single majority in terms of race in the U.S. because it just keeps growing and mixing. So why are we so obsessed with only supporting this one group when there's so many other incredible entrepreneurs out there? So I think there's a lot in there. We know, for example, that black women entrepreneurs are outpacing every other startup by the factor of six in terms of growth, revenue, and job creation. So yeah. it's it's this is a no-brainer. Like, why wouldn't you invest in black women entrepreneurs, for example? Yeah. So there's a lot out there that um, too many people don't have equal access to those opportunities. And unfortunately, this is really part of the system where even a lot of us ecosystem builders are doing a lot of work trying to make sure that there is representation of diverse groups along the ecosystem. Um, in the investment space, it is still predominantly male at 92% white males are the venture capitalist investors. So only 8% are women. So we're trying to diversify that field and make sure that entrepreneurs see themselves represented everywhere in the ecosystem. And for us, that means bringing so many entrepreneurs who have been disadvantaged from a really young age along not because we feel sorry, but because A, they deserve an opportunity and B, it actually makes economic sense to have a super diverse entrepreneurial stack. That is really, really powerful. I I didn't actually, I knew the stat that uh, Black women entrepreneurs were outpacing, but I didn't realize that it was by that large of a margin. So that is, wow. <laughs> Um, so can we talk about a little bit about your, your journey and how you kind of got into the work that you're doing? Can you tell me about maybe two pivotal milestones that you face that push you towards, um, getting into the work of ecosystem building? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the first one was, uh, when I was just fresh out of high school. So, um, (laughs) I was born and raised in rural East Germany, hadn't really left my village, And after graduating from high school, I took a year off to travel and sort of earn my own way wherever I was living. And as part of that, I spent two months in Thailand teaching English as part of a nonprofit. And I came up in very humble circumstances, but seeing a lot of the kids that we were supporting being so incredibly poor immediately told me that that's where I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to dedicate my career to making a difference for people who had been even less fortunate than me to say to say it like that and then I would say the second turning point was um, for the first time meeting other entrepreneurial ecosystem builders because I've been doing this work just intrinsically in Richmond Virginia of supporting entrepreneurs every possible way I could but for the first time going to a conference where suddenly there was language around it and I met entrepreneurial ecosystem builders from Baltimore, Maryland, and from Florida and Texas, and really just all over the US for the first time gave me that sense of belonging and made me feel like I'm not crazy for investing my time in doing this uh, sometimes really ungrateful work. So that was a big push for me to continue working in this field. 
Wow. I, I find I find your work really interesting. Maybe it's a thing I end up doing sometime in my life, in, in my journey or something. Because um, I, 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 I think it's so fascinating. Um, I think it's so fascinating. The challenges that you are, that you, you're actually tackling. Ecosystem building to me very much sounds like the work of, again, access, right? Of, of giving people who might not necessarily um, have the ability to attain the the network that that is needed to scale effectively, giving them that access. I wonder. So for, first, one thing: social venturers. You guys specifically work with entrepreneurs who are working in the social innovation space, or what kind of what kind of entrepreneurs do you do you work with? So, um, in in part with entrepreneurs, but also with everybody else who self identifies as an ecosystem system builder. So really looking at the whole support network for entrepreneurs, but you're right in the space of social innovation and social impact. Um, So I'm also talking a lot to investors. So people who run incubation programs for entrepreneurs, really looking at the entrepreneur from very, very different perspectives in an effort to learn how can we better support social entrepreneurs. For example, if we're all co-working space owners or operators, what do we need to do to be really inclusive in our efforts, provide relevant training, have very accessible spaces, all these kinds of things. So it's almost like looking for best practices in these different support functions to make sure that entrepreneurs can thrive and build really powerful, sustainable businesses. You mentioned that you you think it's super important to provide access to um, to marginalized groups and and that it's super important to invest in in groups like Black women that are growing exponentially as as entrepreneurs and other groups. So how have you seen that providing that access to women, people of color, the um, transgender community or just the LGBTQ community in general? Like, how have you seen providing access to them kind of rooted in our societal challenges? So one of the things I like to drive towards, when, especially when we talk about social innovation, is that innovation does not happen when five homogenous people sit in a room together. Innovation happens when a lot of people from super different walks of life with very different experiences and skill sets and characters come together and obviously create a lot of friction. That's why innovation can be really, really uncomfortable. But that's where true innovation happens. Like if we're just surrounding ourselves with the people we're comfortable with and who look like us and talk like us and have a background like us, very few new ideas will come about. And I think that's the magic of bringing together groups from different walks of life to really look at systemic challenges from all these different perspectives and have a lot of different lived experiences to create solutions that work, again, not just for this one group, but that work for everybody who's in the room. And that's really important. And those systemic challenges can be climate change, racial injustice, um, air pollution, poverty. I mean, you name it. We have so many challenges um, that I think we are best prepared to address systemic challenges with all of the actors in the system, not necessarily always getting along and agreeing, but at least coming together and say, here's what I can contribute. Here's where I think we need to be paying attention. I think you're just going to create better solution. It's not comfortable. Um, It's not a quick fix. But obviously, comfortable and quick fix got us into the situation we're in now. So let's stop doubling down on what doesn't work and let's shift the conversation to bring everybody to the table or even put ourselves at a table that we've never been in. I don't like this idea of 
me as a white middle-class woman inviting other people to the table. Truth is, man, there are so many tables that I don't even know exist and I need to go find out where they are. And I want to be part of their conversation. You mentioned um, a lot about the different challenges that we're all facing together as a society, like climate change, you mentioned. Um, Can you describe kind of how that push and pull of our society's shifting culture influences the work that you do or just kind of how those how are the factors that shape our culture shaping shaping your work? Because I was able to travel after high school and, and see parts of the world, I quickly understood that a lot of the impacts or a lot of the global challenges were impacting communities very differently. And that can be really frightening. I mean, trying to solve climate change is probably not going to happen in our lifetime. So that can be really frustrating. But I knew that I wanted to make my contribution to make sure that we can address some of these bigger issues, which is why I went on to get a master's of science and sustainability to start understanding some of these bigger systems and starting to understand how business can play a role in addressing some of these systemic challenges. So it's always been at my core trying to figure out how we can solve some of these really, really big issues. And I have to admit that um, until I moved to the US five years ago, I wasn't very aware of a lot of the racial discrimination that happens on a systemic level because it's not that it doesn't happen in Europe, but it looks a little bit different where I'm from in Germany, for example, in the rural community, it's a very different affair. So especially the year 2020 of living here in the US has opened my eyes to how deeply rooted a lot of these challenges are and that we cannot afford to just throw a check at it or have one profit work on, on one of those challenges. Because again, I think a lot of them are so they span across borders, they span across generations. And that's why the solutions that we want to provide have to have that similar mindset of working long-term, really collaborating, thinking about not just what drives us apart, but what can we all do together to solve problems? Who can invest? Who has the right skill set to work on this? Not for a year or two years or a fellowship, but really probably for decades to come. So A lot of those issues are what get me out of bed in the morning and make me very aware of how I want to be showing up in this world and how I want to help solve problems and most importantly, create a community of like-minded change makers who care about the same things, how we can come together and support each other in doing this work for years and decades to come. Um, As you were talking, it got me kind of thinking about your work itself. And I was and I was wondering if you have like any projects or any um, anything that you're particularly proud of that you've accomplished over the last couple of years in your career that you that you wouldn't mind talking about? No, I'd love that. I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, the community I've been able to curate through social ventures is probably what I'm most proud of. It is an international network of people who are very used to working behind the scenes. If you're trying to change a system, it's not, in most cases, it doesn't mean you're on stage and you get showered in awards and you make all this money. No, for the most part, it's people who are just deeply invested in their local communities and just really want to see them thrive, um, create wealth and health and well-being and equity in their communities. And because that job is so thankless at times and not well paid, and most people don't even know what to call it, we're all operating really, really separately. And so for me to be able to find these people and bring them together and give them a space to 
share their concerns, but also share their ideas and their hopes and their dreams has been incredibly powerful. Also, selfishly for me, because I currently live in Chapel Hill. There aren't many ecosystem builders around. So for me to know that I have people who believe in what I believe in, in the Netherlands and in Australia and in Africa, gives me a lot of sustenance to continue doing this work and gives me a lot of belief that individuals like us can really make a difference in the world. I love that. So would you consider um, the community that you've built through social ventures, your own personal community as well? Like it's it's for them, but it's also kind of for you. Yes, um, they totally overlap. Like my personal community and my professional community are 95% the same people. I think because we connect on such a deep level on about our passions and our dreams in life and, and wanting to make the world a better place that it makes it really easy to connect. And actually, I have become friends with probably half of the people that I've interviewed over the years. So they give me a lot of energy when I'm feeling down. And I think I can give them some energy when they're struggling, just really to hold up a mirror and say, no, you're doing great. I know it feels like crap right now, but that systems change. It takes forever. And you don't know that you get there until you're really there. So I see a lot of value in having that support in the community. Since we're talking about community, how do you feel like your work has impacted your own sense of belonging or your definition of belonging? Originally, when I was younger, and especially when I was still in college, I thought that Everybody who wants to make the world a better place, sort of the, the social impact, feel good nonprofit space, that we would all feel like we belong. And then once I got my first work experience in charities and nonprofits, I felt like I wasn't really fitting in because the notion of competing for resources, competing for grant money, competing for staff, competing for entrepreneurs didn't really sit well with me. I didn't think we should be competing. I think I always knew that from the beginning, we all need to be working together, which sounds really lofty. But the truth is, when there are very few resources and a lot of nonprofits who want these resources, it can get really nasty, even in the space of trying to change the world. So for the longest time, I felt like I didn't belong because I believed in creating social impact through business. But most people think business is the root of all evil. So it really took me some time until I found this, this group of ecosystem builders, until I finally felt like I belong. It was sort of my tribe. It was people who understood what I was going through and who had the same ambitions in seeing rural communities thrive or seeing entrepreneurs in the Bronx thrive. So bringing them together, that gave me a sense of belonging. And that's also what I'm trying to give back to the community of social venturers, because they're all across the world, often working by themselves and unrecognized by their communities or supporters. So I'm trying to create a space for belonging for all these different ecosystem builders who want to create social change through entrepreneurship on social ventures. So it's a bit of a give and take, I think. Yeah. I want to make sure that um, that everyone listening really gets a sense of what uh, the work of the ecosystem builders that you work with, kind of the impact of their work. Is there an ecosystem builder in your community um, who has done anything that you think is, is really interesting recently in, in any community around the world? Oh, so many. Uh, where do I start? Um, for example, um, when COVID hit in March 2020, I got together a bunch of ecosystem builders to discuss how they were how they were supporting their communities in particular. And there's some great examples there. So, for example, Leon Reiner from Impact Hub Berlin uh, worked in a consortium of, I think, seven or eight support on 
support organizations for entrepreneurs in Germany and put together a hackathon within five days with zero funding and created the world's largest hackathon, calling on social innovators all around Germany to crowdsource solutions, not to COVID itself, but to how COVID was going to impact society in Germany. So I think that was really incredible because Leon saw really quickly that when this pandemic started to spread and impact people's lives, they were reaching out saying, I'm at home sitting on my sofa because we're in lockdown, but I want to help. So I think for an ecosystem builder like Leon, he was in a great position to see where the needs were and where people were willing to give and sort of orchestrate everybody who needed to come together to not only develop those ideas, but then also go execute and make sure they're impactful in their communities. Um, in a different community in South America, Michelle Aravalo Carpenter, she's the founder of Impacto, which is a co-working space for social innovators. Um, she ran a first a countrywide and then almost a continent-wide survey interviewing entrepreneurs and asking them, how are you impacted? How much money do you have left? Like, what's your what's your timeline? Who wants to pivot? Who needs to shut down? So really getting a sense for what entrepreneurs were struggling with. And then because she's so well connected, she was able to reach out into her network and find the right people to support these entrepreneurs one-on-one. -on -one. Because again, as an ecosystem builder, you are not at the center of the ecosystem, but you have a very good bird's eye view of who's working on what, who has a good set of skills or resources that someone else in the ecosystem needs. So that's the whole idea of ecosystem building is seeing a need, knowing who can fill that gap and sort of bringing those people together. So can you talk about self-care for you? You you definitely talked a bit about your um, how your community is really helping build you up and make you feel like uh, the make you feel the impact of your work and and recognize that your work is is valuable. Um, but how do you personally make sure that this work doesn't kill you? Um, you're actually not far off. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think especially um, us as hopeless cases of optimists and change makers, we tend to go above and beyond because this is not a job that you leave at the office and you turn off on Friday afternoon and then you go back to it on Monday. Like, because it is our heart's desire and our passion, it constantly burns. You're in the shower, you think about creating social change. You're watching something on the news and you're trying to think of the social innovators who are already working on that issue. So it is a constant evolving calling that really keeps you up at night. So your question is super, super valid. And I am probably not even the best person to talk about it because um, I tried to take care of myself, but it's really trial and error. I figured out over the years that um, what really works for me is moving my body, eating healthy food. I enjoy cooking. I enjoy reading. I try to step away from screens when I'm not officially working. Um, switching it up. But I know that that's something different for everybody else. Like some people really love yoga and mindfulness. And for them, that's self-care. That's not really me. I like being on my bike. I like doing CrossFit. I like going for long walks. So I try to balance and sort of sprinkle in these little things that give me joy throughout the day and throughout the week. Uh -huh. um, 
And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So, um, you know, it's still a work in progress. I feel that. I feel that so much. I'm just like, I'm always thinking, I'm just like, I could be doing more. What else should I be doing? What What is what is next for me? Um, so, so for you, if you made the most impact that you could, how do you think the, the ideal world would look as a result? I envision an alternative future where... Every human can live to their fullest potential, whatever that means, and create whatever impact they want to create without burning out in the process. And I think the prerequisite for that is that everybody even gets an equal shot at living their full potential. Um, I want to live in a world where where you are born or into what family you're born does not define how your life is likely to turn out. I think that's just unfair. And that's where a lot of the issues start really early on. So my hope is to contribute to a world where everybody can do what they're good at and what they enjoy and do so without losing themselves, which is especially relevant, again, in the impact space of um, trying to save the world, but really burning the candle at both ends. So I always try to be mindful of that balance between uh, what I call professional excellence and personal mastery and keeping both in check to make sure we can do this in the long run. So what do you feel like is the biggest hurdle that you face when it comes to kind of shaping the world into the ideal world that that you want to create? I think on a very high level, what is really challenging in this space is a mindset of scarcity and if I want more for myself so that you can have less. So if you think even like, if you think about different nations and who is polluting and who's trying to reduce pollution and who's uh, chopping down the rainforest versus those who are trying to plant trees. I think one of the big challenges is that people have still not understood that a rising tide lifts all boats. So if we all do our best to increase the well-being of Mother Nature, then the whole world will thrive and benefit from that. So that's number one. Secondly, sort of more on a meso level, I know that creating systemic change takes a lot of time. So changing culture and changing mindsets takes a very long time and it requires a lot of patience. And every now and then, I think we all get a little frustrated (laughs) because the wheels aren't turning faster. Um, And on a very practical day-to-day level, um, what's challenging for me is that it's really hard to get paid for that kind of work because, you know, who's going to pay you for building a network? There's not really an immediate uh, return on investment and you can't really put a dollar amount on making connections, making introductions, making referrals, or just really building a culture and building social capital. So um, that part I'm still trying to figure out. So if people want to connect with you or learn more about social venturers, uh, how can they get in touch? Um, So head over to socialventurers.com, find social venturers on Instagram or on Twitter or LinkedIn. And the same is true for Annika Horn. Um, I have a website. I have an Instagram, a Twitter, a LinkedIn. Um, I'm the social person. And I really love connecting with people who just share that passion of using entrepreneurship as a force for good. So whoever wants to reach out and talk about social entrepreneurship, social impact, ecosystem building, I would love to hear from them um, and just spread the word as much as I can. 